0: Welcome to the Olelo podcast. This podcast interrogates technology and the law with a focus on issues such as access to the internet, social media, privacy, data protection, cybersecurity and cybercrime. On this podcast, I also occasionally discuss matters on the rule of law and constitutionalism in Kenya. Many thanks to all of you for listening for your feedback, and for sharing previous episodes. I'm your host, and my name is Mugambi Laibuta. Some of the issues discussed here may be accessed on my website, www.laibuta.com, L-A-I-B-U-T-A.com. Thank you so much for the continued support. On this episode, I have Al Kags. Al is the founder of Open Institute, which is an African organization that works with governments, civil society organizations, to promote open government and citizen engagement. Primarily, Al works across Sub-Saharan Africa, but contributes to global open government movements. He sits on technical advisory committees of the Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data. He has served as a member of the Global Open Data Working Group and the Global Open Data Initiative, and was the co-chair of the Kenya OGP Working Group, chair of the Kenya Open Data Task Force, and the Kenya Open Government Initiative. Karibu sana, Al.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I've uh, talked about um, what you do, but now listeners will want to know uh, what is Open Institute all about. You've worked on what you call um, open government uh, movement. What is this exactly and um, how does it relate to what Monainchi does uh, from day to day? So
1: the Open Institute, we do um, mainly two things. We are a Kenyan organization that is working right across the African continent. Um, But what we do is we do two main things. Thing number one that we do is that we promote open government. What we try and do is to work with governments so that they have the necessary tools or the necessary policies or knowledge or whatever it is that they need to make sure that they are proactively transparent to the public. So they, they share um, data, they share information with the public that shows what it is that they are doing um, on our behalf um, and how they are spending our money um, and whether they are achieving the goals they set out to achieve on our behalf. Um, the reason for this is because we say that we are the bosses of the government and they are just simply reporting to us. The thing number two that we do is that we work with citizens and citizen groups and civil society organizations to promote something that we like to call active citizenship, which means that citizens now stop sitting on their sofas and just shaking their heads about how government is doing things, but actively speak out and direct government on what they think um, should be done.
0: So what I'm hearing from you is that uh, you work for government to be open, that providing information that relates, let's say, to projects, how finances are used. And uh, that information is key for us as citizens to engage the government, to take the government into account for what they are doing, and also perhaps for planning purposes. Am I getting you right?
1: Yes, that's that's entirely correct, yes.
0: Um, any any project that you've worked on, maybe that you'll tell us about how this has worked?
1: So we've done quite a lot of projects over the past um Nine, ten years now. Where we started out is that we started by working with the Kenya government to produce open data. That is where all this started. We went to the government and we suggested to them that um, Kenya needs to be open needs to be open. Um, and we suggested that the way to be open now, having achieved all of the other gains in ICT that we have, is by making sure the government proactively publishes data, the actual numbers to the public. So that the public can actually do the due diligence.
0: And um, the government been doing this?
1: Well, it, it has been. It has been a, an uphill task. But what happened was at the beginning in 2011, government went and um, the president went and gave us a date for launching um, the Kenya Open Data Initiative, and that became the very first open data initiative in Africa. And then once that was done, government has developed a culture. Which is why now when you go to to things like elections, you can see that they publish a lot of data. When you go to the uh, government's Ministry of Finance website, you can find actual tables with numbers that you can be able to review and see like what our debt situation is. You can be able to see um, what our incomes, what our expenditure is and so on. That is all kind of the work that we are doing. In 2013, after the counties came into, into being, we started working with all of the counties to try and make sure that they all sort of publish their data online so that um, people can see. Now, that's been a little harder, but we have succeeded in doing it on open. We have a, we have a website called opencounty.go.org. Now, if you go to open county, what you will see is that you will see data from all of the counties a lot of it has not yet been very updated lately because of the fact that the counties I mm-hmm. think have had other you know since covid the counties have had other sort of priorities but there's been a very good and consistent culture of updating and publishing especially financial and other indicators
0: so which which county for example would you say has uh, has done really well in terms of uh, uh, sharing their data in what uh, what they are doing with our money
1: I think the counties that I, I would single out as doing really well in terms of proactively communicating to the public. El Ghiyo, County is, is great in that respect. They were the first county that we worked with to have a, a data desk. And a data desk is essentially a dedicated desk that is working with all of the departments within the county government to collect data and to make sure that the data finds its way into the public domain. Kilifi is a, is a county that's doing quite well in terms of collecting and publishing um, M&E data. McWenny is is great with regard to citizen engagement and with regard to taking that data all the way down to village level and making sure even villagers understand what that
0: data is. You've mentioned something important that i like, I like to highlight before we lose the trail of thought. You've talked about yeah. Makueni taking the data to, to, the, to the people, I mean to the most basic level, which is the village level. So how, how do they package this information so that uh, the monaichi can understand uh, what they're talking about? Because you see, to perhaps to many people, even me at times, when you talk about data, it looks at like these complicated figures or information Information that is hard to decipher, that is in Excel sheets. So how, how do you package it and ensure that that person at the most basic level, that is the village level at the county, appreciates what this information is all about and how do they engage with that data?
1: When we started working with the counties, one, we, we did a bit of research and we learned that in general, citizens don't care about the grand macro financial issues that they see in the newspapers. When citizens see 10 billion was lost at County X. While, while it is a big sensational figure, the majority of the people do not quite feel anything because of the fact that it doesn't, they can't relate to that figure. It's too big. But at county level, the good thing is that uh, with counties such as Makweni, as Kilifi, as Elgeo, Baringo, a few others, we have seen that what they do is that they package the data at ward level. Now, when you go and tell, um, for example, someone in a village, that we use 10 million shillings to build the the shed for the Boda Boda guys. That's something they know how to build, and that's something they know what it generally costs. And so they will ask you, how did you exactly spend 10 million shillings? But when you say that we have spent 10 billion um, to build 3,000 kilometers of roads, you find that people don't really then um, understand, because we don't build roads in general. But things that are happening at what level if you bring it to us and tell us that in your ward we are building a new hospital and this is what it is going to cost. People generally know a building of that size costs this much. And so they're able to engage at that level.
0: Uh, This COVID pandemic has affected all of us. Um, Have you worked on data around uh, COVID which we know is um, health data and how has that worked out? Who uses this data? Why do they use this data?
1: When we start. Started out, when COVID, when we started out, you know, with the lockdowns and all that last, uh, last year in March, what happened was that we went out and realized that we were not going to be able to do our programs the way we normally do them. We were not going to be able to go out into the ground and, and, and do what needs to be done. And so all of our programs kind of stalled at that point. But then we, we wanted to be useful. And so we talked to the national government, and the National uh, Emergency Response Committee, and we said, how can we help? And one of the things that as we were having those conversations, we realized is that, you know, if you remember, this was a time when, when you know, things like sanitized dye was very rare. When it was found, it was exorbitant. Many communities were having fights about water because of the fact that they couldn't quite go and get water from the places they need to. Or the county government was not delivering water all the way down to the ground. And so the communities were having fights about it. All of these various challenges were there. But the uh, national government was not really having a sense of what that is. So what we did is that we went and built a tool called Nuru. And what that was, is, what is it was essentially a citizen reporting mechanism. And all the citizens needed to do was to download an app uh, on Nuru.live or on their iOS or their their um, Android phones. And then whatever they saw, when they see in a community people are fighting over water, they report it. When they see that uh, sanitizer is, is being overpriced, they report it. When they see matatus are refusing to carry people, they report it. All of these things. And that then allowed the National Emergency Response Committee to have a sense of where they needed to support. And other civil society organizations then started also to look at the same thing
0: what was the uptake of uh, the Nuru app
1: uh, the uptake was very good surprisingly so we so we saw citizens from literally all over the country just come in and and um, give us information and um, what then, the success of that then led to people like AMREF coming on board together with Advocacy Accelerator and the African Union and working with us to provide NURU to several other countries within the continent so that data around COVID within communities can be collected in about eight countries on the continent. So as far away as Malawi and, uh, and Zambia and other places, we were seeing now data being used Data being collected, you know, from from a citizen perspective, of how COVID was affecting communities, how uh, treatment was reaching them, and so on and so forth.
0: Is the platform still live at the moment?
1: Yes, the platform is live. It's a no of life.
0: Okay, and uh, now let's let's move on to uh, the Data Protection Act. I think I've understood, I mean, the audience our uh, listeners have understood about what open data is all about. Uh, they've heard about how national government uh, benefits from having open data, the county. You've talked about Nuru Live, how the citizens themselves can engage and provide information that will be useful in terms of uh, decision-making at a national level. I think you've also talked about regional where all this information um, is used uh, by regional decision makers. But how does open data uh, relate to the Data Protection Act? Um, Is there personal data within all this uh, big data that is within the open data? Or how does it work? Is there any relationship?
1: When people think about data, when people think about the fact that there's a lot of our personal information that is being collected, especially with the fight against COVID, you notice that, for example, at uh, at one point, government had to work with the police force, share our our status, our COVID-19 status um, with the police and have the police chase after us so that we can go to the quarantine centers. It raised a question, and, the, and, and it's a very valid question. We're seeing governments then working, for example, on collecting sensitive personal data based on, I have COVID, I was with Ole, and therefore government needs to track Ole, find out where he is. So automatically government was then using your GPS data, yes. uh, actually tracking your physical sort of place. So Ole, I'm not saying that you are Vagashungwa somewhere, but if you had been... <laughs> um, you look locate me where I'm not supposed there. to be. <laughs> so if you are where you are not supposed to be, government will know that you are not there. Yes. And then the question then becomes, who then gets to see this data? Should the How should the government handle this data in a way that makes sure that you do not, for example, incriminate yourself where you could or in a way that makes sure that you... You know, the, the wrong people don't have access to your personal
0: data. I understand what you're saying, but how do you yes. strike that balance? Because, in as much as we have the Data Protection Act, the Health Act, public health regulations provide that uh, basically in a pandemic, um, health data should be open. Uh, but you also raise the question who has access to this data and why? So, how do you exactly. strike that balance?
1: So, whereas we accept that in a pandemic we must, uh, government has to have access to this data and government must utilise this data to fight the pandemic, so there are two considerations. There are two questions that we must be able to answer well. One is, in the process of fighting the pandemic, how do you make sure that government or private sector do not then take my data and do a little bit more than they are than than involves the pandemic? So they are supposed to use it for fighting the pandemic. But how do I make sure that a private sector company like Facebook doesn't then take that data and also sell it for their own benefits? How do I make sure that when I sign in on the big black book of truth, you know, when we go into every building, there's a black book of truth, I call it, uh, (laughs) where we have to put in our ID card numbers and so on and so forth. How do we make sure that that building uses that data only for security purposes and does not then take that and sell it to a political party? so that I am then deemed to have been a member of a political party. Can you see where this is going? I get it. So that is is constitution number one.
0: mm -hmm.
1: Consideration number two is, how do we know that the pandemic is over? What is the signal that will tell us that the crisis is over? And what are the policies that are being put in place to make sure that when the crisis is over, then my rights come back. The rights that were taken away in the course of finding the pandemic, i.e. government being able to track me willy-nilly and so on, that when the crisis is over, they can no longer do that. How do, what is the policy that is in place? There isn't. And so we started doing something called the Restore Data Rights, which is an initiative that is across the continent where we are trying to advocate for governments across the continent to be fair, to be inclusive, to allow you to say no to how data is used, to, uh, to give you a little more control, and most importantly, to provide a signal, or to become clear about what the signal is, that says that okay, if we now five, have five hundred cases in in um, in a day, then that means that the crisis has been averted. And if we have, um, the crisis has been averted, then all of your rights that you had before the pandemic come back to you, and government has to be able to respect them. So, so- but majority of the country, countries do not have data protection mechanisms. So we actually actively working to make sure that there's either data protection laws or there's data protection policies to support those laws or that they operationalize, like in the case of Kenya.
0: That is at a state level. Uh, what about yes. at Open Institute? What um, what kind of strategies have you put in place uh, to ensure that uh, you comply with some of these basic data protection principles that you are talking about? That whatever data y- you have, it takes into considerations the rights of the data subject. Uh, you use that data for only the use the, that is required, because you've given the example that some of this COVID data gets into the hands of uh, private sector. And private sector uses that data for a purpose uh, that the patient didn't, uh, didn't intend that data to be used. So what strategies within house are there in place that perhaps other organizations could explore adopting when handling uh, either big data, personal data, or just data generally?
1: So one of the things that we do is that we are very protective of um, the data of people who we work with. So there are programs, for example, where we are working with citizens um, either on behalf of governments or on behalf of the citizens themselves, to use technology for purposes of collecting sensitive personal data. We've had situations, for example, you go to citi- uh, citizen groups and they're doing citizen generated data. Um, in Laneto mojo for example, um, we went and worked with the leadership, Karioki and his team and his uh, location leadership, to make sure that we went to every single household And they collected data from every single household on everything. Do you have a a mud or or a stone house? Do you share a toilet with anyone? What do you farm? Do you have goats? Do you have cows? And so on and so forth. Very personal information. Now, one of the things that we do is that we made sure that the level of encryption and the level of protection against any sensitive personal data and the level of anonymization. So we've actually gone to the extent of, doing things like using blockchain to make sure that data is anonymized entirely. So if you try to access personal data, you can't. But if you wanted to access what the data is saying, then it becomes possible to to do so. But you can't see somebody's name, phone number, age, etc, etc. Then the second thing that we have done is that we made sure that a lot of the tools that we have built are of allow people to make informed choices where they are coming and sharing the data. For example, in Noru, you are allowed to make an update even without using your name. You can decide to use somebody else's name and so on and so forth. So it makes sure that you do not have to disclose your personal information for you to be able to make a report.
0: So is there a conflict between open data and data protection principles in general?
1: Um, You see, data protection principles are mainly protecting sensitive personal data. Open data is not necessarily about personal information at all. It is about the aggregate information uh, per household. So how many, for example, TVs do we have in my ward? How many households in my ward have a TV? Um, How many people in my ward? Rather than who has high blood pressure in my ward, is how many people in my ward have blood pressure? So that the dispensary there then knows that it should provide 50 doses of blood pressure medicine every day um, because there are 50 people. But who those 50 people are, That data should be essentially protected. And so the way I look at it is that the data protection principles and open data principles are actually part of the same um, body.
0: Yeah, I, I really like what, it, what, it, what you're saying, especially on what um, Open Institute is doing in terms of protecting data and that clear demarcation on um, open data and uh, personal data, like the example you've given. A particular area, of course, you want to know how many people have a certain medical conditions. But when you're dealing with open data, it's not a business of everybody to know who those individuals are. But of course, the specific health facilities may have information about who these individuals are uh, to make the correct interventions. Yes. Then this brings me to the issue of do we as Kenyans in your engagement uh, with the counties or with the national government, or even you as an individual um, in whatever you do day to day that might not be work per se, do we really appreciate privacy and data protection and what dangers will be there if we if we don't protect uh, our privacy or if our privacy is not protected by people who who collect mine or harvest our data?
1: I think not. I think that um, we still have a long way to go in making sure that Kenyans understand a what what data is and what sensitive personal data looks. like. The Open Institute currently has a campaign running called Ficha Uchi. And it, it's essentially about saying, uh, pay attention to what you're publishing on the internet because it is going to come and, and hurt you in the, in the long run. Here's an interesting thing. When people are posting on, on, uh, on Facebook, we, we, for example, I saw on one of the Facebook groups, this lady went and confessed on, in one of the comments. She was essentially just talking and she confessed in that comment that she has been cheating on her husband with somebody else for money. Then the internet, because it does not forget and it is very vicious, then screenshot all of her uh, Facebook profile. Somebody else went and screenshoted all of her Facebook profile as well as that comment and began sharing it on WhatsApp and on other spaces so that um, that information then is, is all over the place. Now, this is something that she did because of the fact that she was not thinking about how her personal data can be used against her. And this is the campaign that we're now trying to, to run, where we're trying to say, you know, be careful what you, what you post can be used against you. And it's important that you, you're careful about it. People even take pictures with the number plates of their cars. They take pictures of their children at the school where the children are going, you know, with the sign of the estate where they live behind them or something like that in such a way that it can become a danger to that child. So we're just sensitizing Kenyans on how to make sure that they're very careful about what they post. And then we're also sensitizing them on the dangers of having data being misused. Because there are Kenyans like myself, who are being accosted by businesses and being sent for SMSs. And you wonder, where did this person get my number so that they can be able to send me a text and tell me that they want to sell me X, Y, or Z? How, how does a loan company get my number and tell me that they have loans to give me if I have never asked for a loan? So these sort of things are, are exercises that we are trying to do to make sure that we sensitize the public. And once they understand that this is a danger, then they can participate in, in some way to uh, pull themselves back.
0: And who sensitizes these people who are mining the data? Those people who are scraping out phone number from whatever source and um, sending all marketing messages, I mean, selling selling this or that, telling uh oh, you need to take a loan with us uh, for uh, at a very low interest rate. So who educates these people? Because you've talked about the education of the masses, which is really essential because data protection, the right to privacy is an individual right, Yes. then we have the individuals or the companies, the organizations in public sector, in private sector, in academia, all these, that are now the ones, they are the culprits in violating these principles. Who, who now yes. educates them?
1: So, as you, as you, as you educate uh, the public, you then uh, uh, these guys are also still part of the public, so you are yeah. still reaching out to them and making sure that they understand what these dangers are. But from a corporate perspective my personal view is that the only way that we can truly impact some of these negative practices from a corporate perspective is by making sure that we build on the jurisprudence that currently exists somebody will have to sue one of these companies somebody will have to get a verdict from court that essentially says that essentially finds that it is that a company has has uh, operated in an illegal way and that they have um, something to pay the reason why libel or you know our libel laws are so well articulated in the country is because of the fact that uh, the jurisprudence around them has been created there's been cases there's been cases that have been placed in court people have been uh, people have had to pay millions of shillings and so now they have paid attention to the the seriousness of the matter
0: you mentioned court proceedings and uh, definitely Public interest litigation is vital in terms of uh, protection, the rights of individuals. We've seen um, uh, public interest litigation protect rights such as uh, the right to freedom of expression, having provisions of the law that were draconian, that came from the colonial era being declared to be unconstitutional. But going back to the Data Protection Act, um, yes. in the last, let's say, six or so months, we've been we've had um, the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner, which ideally under the Act will be instrumental um, in providing this kind of education and provide remedies. Uh, the office is yes. still young, and uh, we, we are all cautiously optimistic about uh, how we'll gain from this. So, away from the, the court process, which is of course, it's vital. The act also provides that you could go to court if you, are, if you are not pleased with what the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner says. But within the last six months, what would you cite as the gains of this office? What are the challenges uh, that the office is facing? And how can private sector, civil society, the government, the public support this office in carrying out its mandate?
1: So I think the first thing that uh, you know, I, I would love that all Kenyans are very aware of is that there are some offices that have been created to fight for us as citizens. There are some um, offices that are created to be sort of like our, our advocates. And the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner is, I think, one of them. This is an office that has been created by law to try and make sure that if anybody misuses your data, then you have recourse, you can be able to fight back, you can be able to get you know, protection of some kind. Now, the, challenge, the the gains that we have had is that we've started seeing a lot of the education happening, especially within the private sector and civil society, within the government itself, about how they can use the data. They have already come up with regulations to operationalize the law, and we're starting to see some good movement. The movement, however, is not as fast as we would like, simply because of the fact that the Data Protection Commissioner came in in the middle of a, budgetary, a budget year, and therefore she is having... She is not uh, well resourced. She doesn't have a big team or as big a team as she needs to be able to serve all of us as a country. She doesn't have the necessary equipment and, and so on and so forth. So where we can come in is to make sure that for those organizations that are able to either second someone to go and support the data protection commissioner or provide equipment or provide some kind of support that strengthens that office. That is a a great thing for us to do because of the fact that that is a, an office that is supporting citizens. Number two is that we need to increase our engagement. We need we need to have a lot more conversations with uh, the data protection commissioner. We need to be able to provide advisories to the data protection commissioner so that it is possible for 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 them to benefit at the very least from the legal expertise and and the and the and other expertise that we have access to as a uh, community, as, as, uh, as citizens of the, of the world, of Kenya.
0: Yeah, I, get, I got what you're saying. I mean, in terms of um, of uh, resources, challenges facing data protection authorities al- around the world are basically the same. It's interesting whether you're looking at Ireland, whether you're looking at the UK, whether you're looking at Belgium, whether you're looking at Cyprus, the issue of funding and uh, uh, resource mobilization is usually a big challenge because it also depends on uh, political goodwill, whether the exchequer, yeah. whether the parliament or the executive will resource uh, this institution. and know Not only, not just about the budget, but also having uh, the personnel who understand the application um, of data protection uh, principles. Um, And I think there's also something that you've mentioned that uh, which is a good step forward. We have um, three draft uh, regulations, which is a step towards implementation uh, of the act. Um, the regulations will right, not yeah. be perfect. We've uh, we've all engaged, them, giving our our views our views on them. But it's definitely uh, a step forward. Especially looking at uh, uh, many of us have been uh, campaigning for implementation of data protection laws for almost ten years. Uh, but now yes. we are at a point where uh, there's there's light at uh, the end uh, of the tunnel. So I do yes. hope. I mean, we all hope that. Uh, the next financial year there will be enough resources to this office because ideally the office should be independent and then um, it becomes a challenge where it's getting support from private sector civil society then at some particular point the regulator has to regulate these institutions so the best the ideal kind of environment is is whereby this Office is fully independent with its own resources, with its own personnel. But as you said, it's baby steps. Um, we have to take the first steps, support this office uh, as much as, uh, as, we, as we can. And the wonderful
1: thing about it is that they're very open um, at the office of the DP, um, from Madam Emakile Kasaid all the way to her team they're very, very open. When when you give them a call and say, I would like to work with you on this, they they tend to be very on board um, and very engaging.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, for me, the the biggest issue is um, I think the biggest challenge, especially moving forward, is is having this office fully independent because, in my view, the office is not independent the way the act is drafted. We need to get rid of um, the ICT uh, ministry uh, from uh, being side by side with the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner, give this commission exactly. full independence, not only in terms of monetary independence, but also in terms of what the law says, so that there are no regulations that come from the ministry, others come from the commissioner, because that's the only way. I mean, around the world, independent uh, regulatory authorities are fully independent in terms of the operations, in terms of what the law yeah. says, and in terms of um, of the funding. But uh, baby steps. Uh, I hope we'll we'll get there. And you mentioned I'm sure partners. we will get. There. I, I I'm actually quite confident
1: about the country right now. I, I, I feel that at least where data protection is concerned, we we are doing it. We are doing quite well.
0: Moving forward, what uh, what do you expect to see in terms of uh, open data? In terms of uh, data protection, what what are you looking forward to?
1: I'm looking forward to a time when uh, citizens are aware of the power of data, of data in their lives. I'm looking forward to a time when citizens are are able to use data, including their own personal data, including the data of people within their neighborhood, to actually advocate for um, the provision of public services in their communities and that they are able to uh, sort of use data to enforce government to do the right thing where, where they're concerned. And at least indications are very good in that respect. Um, that we're making progress towards that end. I'm looking forward to a time when government is very proactively open where data is concerned, where they uh, publish data on their websites in Excel format, not even in PDF format, to basically tell the public to look at this data, make comments on this data, ask us questions on this data. We, we are prepared to um, to tell you what we have done with your money. We are prepared to tell you how we, what kind of impact we've had, and so on and so forth. The more we have that, uh, you know, those two fronts um, happening, the faster our country will develop and the more we can deal with the challenges that we've been having like corruption and so on and so forth.
0: There are platforms you talked about. Just remind us what the platforms are. So number
1: one, I'd like to call on Kenyans to go to RestoreDataRights.Africa and sign the declaration that is there because that declaration is telling governments across Africa that we want for them to create and enact the necessary policies to make sure that our sensitive personal data is protected. Number two, I invite everyone to go to our own website and our own social media, that's Open Institute, and find the feature Uchi campaign and share it with your friends, with your colleagues, with your partners, with everyone, to make sure that everybody understands um, their their rights to data. Number three, I want to say, please check out opencounty.org. Um, OpenCounty.org is a site where you can be able to look at the data of your county for the last several years, see how well your county uh, your county has been doing, and 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 um, be active in terms of saying what more could be done. And finally, I'm calling upon you to go onto your um, Android phone or your iOS and download the Nuru app, and wherever you are going, just update us on what is happening where COVID is uh, concerned in your community. Tell us when, whether they are, people are being vaccinated, whether people are, are, have sanitizer, whether people are keeping their masks on, whether there's a club that is remaining open long hours. Go on your Neuro app and publish that information so that we can make sure that um, the necessary people um, act upon it.
0: Thank you very much. That's Al Kags uh, from um, Open Institute. Great resource uh, there. Thank you very much Al, for c- coming to Olelo Podcasts. Na sana. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm a big fan.
0: Ah, Sante sana. And we hope to have uh, more conversations on open data, open governance, and uh, data protection uh, generally. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Asante sana, Alcags, for coming to this episode. Thank you, everyone, for your comments and feedback on this episode or previous episodes. I am on Twitter at O-L-E-Z, Facebook, Ole Laibuta. My email is mugambiatlaibuta.com. My website blog, www.laibuta.com. Until next time, goodbye, kwaheri, asante sana.